0: I think one of the most jarring and joyful moments of a parent's life is when you come home for the first time with a newborn. Um, it's joyful, of course, because it's new baby, it's, you know, this very uh, literal depiction in this moment of welcoming the child into your family, physically carrying this child into your house for the first time. I remember the exact spot on the floor where, uh, with both of our kids, we walked in the door and we had the little car carrier and just set them down and went, whoa, they're here. And uh, it's this really joyful moment um, accompanied by this duet of exhaustion and terror, and... Um, <laughs> It is a joyful moment, but it really is this jarring moment too, because for the prior, you know, several days, uh, you have just sort of round-the-clock care. You've got doctors and nurses around you, and they're checking on the baby and making sure everything's perfect. And and as a parent, you're tired and you're sort of dependent on them to tell you what to do. And and then all of a sudden, these healthcare professionals are like, "Bye, good luck." (laughs) And you get in the car and you're like, I guess we're doing this. Are they buckled in? This is happening now. And so it's very, it's this amazing moment, but it is a little bit jarring, just the transition uh, to where all of a sudden it's just you. Spiritually speaking, that is basically what happened with the Thessalonian Christians in the first century. They, this group of of Christians, they had first heard about Jesus uh, from the Apostle Paul Uh, he he came to their city, he presented the gospel, people came to faith, and he was with them for just a brief period. And they're kind of these spiritual newborns, and then through a variety of uh, circumstances, Paul was forced to just leave them abruptly, pretty quickly, much earlier than he had hoped. And so they're kind of Spiritual infants now in this large city this city with very different worldview very different values Um, So this is not an ideal circumstance for them And so paul is in another city and he is writing these letters that we later called first and second Thessalonians to encourage these new believers in their faith to fill in the gaps of some teaching that they he felt that maybe they Didn't get Um, and really just to reassure them in the face of many challenges that they were facing Um, and so the question that we're going to kind of be exploring today uh, that we'll see through the lens of First Thessalonians, but is a, a question that's very relevant to our lives as well, uh, is this question. How can we be strong and joyful in our faith even when life is challenging? How can we be strong and joyful in our faith even when life is challenging? Uh, it is a question as I said, applicable to what was happening with the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago, but it is applicable to all of us as well, no matter where we happen to be uh, in our faith journey. And so uh, I think the passage we're going to look at today is going to give us some clarity on this important question. How can we be strong and joyful in our faith, even when life is challenging? Um, So if you brought your Bible with you, open up to 1 Thessalonians Um, 1 Thessalonians, if you're unfamiliar with the layout of Scripture, is in the New Testament About halfway through the New Testament, right after the book of Colossians Um, If you don't own a Bible, by the way, we have Bibles on the tables Feel free to take one of those home We would love for that to be our gift to you Um, We like to highlight things and take notes, and so feel free to do that uh, as well Um, On that note, it is on page 807 1 Thessalonians starts on page 807 on those Bibles there um, so before we though jump into First Thessalonians, I want to give a little bit of backstory about what was going on um, from the Book of Acts. Um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, not that familiar with with Scripture, um, you know the New Testament wasn't always just sort of the Bible. Th- these are ancient documents written individually in the first century. They're different genres of literature. And letters like First and Second Thessalonians are actually letters; they're real ancient letters that were written. Um, in this case, from a church leader, the Apostle Paul, to a church, and these give us windows into the life of faith of these early Christian communities. And you can always pair—just a little Bible reading tip—you can always pair the letters with the Book of Acts because there are two different types of genres. The Book of Acts is history. It's the first 30 years of church history. What happened in the first three decades after Jesus' life? And it describes how the gospel, how the message of Jesus spread out across the Roman world. And in this case, it tells us how Christianity first came to Thessalonica, that city, how it first uh, arrive there. And so we read about the situation in the book of Acts and then you can read in the letters what what Paul is saying to those people. It's a little bit like if you were to read a biography of a famous historical figure and then you also read their memoirs, you'd have like the story about them and then you'd have what they said. That's a little bit like what you have with Acts and the letters. And so you can always kind of read both of them, and they really give a full picture of what was happening. Uh, So I want to quickly read in the book of Acts. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it up here. The the brief story of how how the message of Jesus first came to the city of Thessalonica, because that's going to set us up to really understand what's in the letters. So in Acts 17, this is where we read about it. Acts 17.1 Um, This is describing Paul's journeys in sharing Christ. It says this, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, let's stop there for a second. When you read the Bible, and and these places are, you know, on another part of the world, I think sometimes these city names can sound like mythical places, like... Amphipolis? (laughs) What's that? Thessalonica. But these are real places. In fact, Thessalonica um, is still a large city in Greece. They pronounce it a little bit differently today. Uh, But I want to show you a map of where this was, because this, um, just to give you a sense of what was happening. So the Apostle Paul has been on this long journey, you see in red, of sharing Christ in cities that have really never heard this message before. And what we're looking at here, this is all modern Turkey, then across there, you have uh, modern Greece. And so he crosses over into Greece. That was the first time Christianity ever came to Europe, was that little jump right there to Greece. And he comes to these cities, Philippi, and there's Amphipolis, and then Thessalonica is right there. Um, So that's Thessalonica. It was a very large city, very cosmopolitan. They think maybe about 100,000 people lived there. It was very prosperous because there was a Roman road That went east west there, really major road called the Ignatian Way. So, all kinds of trade and commerce were flowing through there. And Paul comes to that city of Thessalonica, there are zero Christians. Completely new city. The message of Jesus has never come there before. So, let's see what happens. Verse 2 in Acts 17. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So it says there that as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. The reason Paul did this, when he came to a city he'd never been to, if there was a Jewish community, a synagogue, he went there first. Because Paul was of a Jewish background, and he, he was looking for anybody he had some common ground with. So he would go into the synagogue first, because he could explain Jesus in terms of the Old Testament. They would sort of understand that. So he goes into the synagogue, and it tells us that he's there for three Sabbaths, which means three weeks. He's with them for about three weeks, talking about Jesus. And it, we see that this diverse group responded. You have some Jewish people who became Christians. There were some Greeks who kind of believed in the God of the Jewish Scriptures, They decide to put their faith in Jesus, and it says some prominent women. But that's not the end of the story, so let's keep going. Verse 5. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men! who've caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house they are all defying Caesar's decrees saying that there's another king one called Jesus when they heard this the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil then they made Jason and the other others post bond and let them go so here's what's happening some of the Jewish community are not happy about this message of Jesus about what Paul's teaching And they use a similar tactic that was used against Jesus in his own trial. They have a religious complaint, but when they bring it to the Roman authorities, they couch it in political terms. There's this treason what they're doing uh, because they're preaching this other king. And in a sense, it was because in the Roman world, part of the propaganda about Caesar was that he was God. And there's one, you know, Lord and Savior. They actually use the terms Lord and Savior for Caesar. So to say there's another Lord and Savior was, in a sense, Uh, viewed treasonous in that climate. And so they're not happy about this. And then uh, verse 10, this is the last uh, verse of this section. It says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So at night, Paul is sort of whisked out of town, probably after about three weeks. He'd been there about three weeks, and they've got to get out of town because things are getting bad. Um, So as you might imagine, brand new Christian community, three weeks old, they had never heard of Jesus before, and their leader who taught them everything is gone. And so they had lots of questions about God still. They were still living in this pagan environment, this environment surrounded by temples and statues to Greek gods and goddesses everywhere. Now they're outsiders in their own city. Now they are viewed with suspicion Now they are unwelcome in their own neighborhoods. They are now going to be experiencing persecution from the same people who drove Paul out of town. They still live there. And by the way, this situation is true today for many communities around the world where Christians are persecuted and there's pressure put on churches. So, you know, we see this in the ancient world looking at this, but it is happening alive and well in the 21st century too. Um, And so the Thessalonian Christians are like leaderless. They're brand new Christians. They're leaderless. And First and 2 Thessalonians is Paul out of town, reaching out, trying to shepherd and lead them via letter in these early steps of their faith to encourage them. So let's now look at 1 Thessalonians. So we, we know a little bit about the situation. Now we're going to see what Paul said to them. These are his words. We're not reading about Paul anymore. We're reading what Paul said. So 1 Thessalonians 1 starts out this way. Paul Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to you. So that's a typical greeting in Paul's letters and in ancient letters this is how they tended to start out you have the people sending the letter at the top Paul lists his two co-workers there and then the address to the church of the Thessalonians and then a little greeting there grace and peace to you that was a pretty standard greeting What Paul typically does in his letters next after the greeting is he prays a prayer of thanksgiving for the person he's sending the letter to. So he just talks about what he's thankful for about this church. And so let's uh, read these next couple of verses because it's here that we're going to begin to discover the answer to our question. How can we be strong and joyful in our faith even when life is challenging? So 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, it says this. This is Paul speaking. He says... We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, that's a, a, a packed couple of verses there. Uh, Paul, he's saying he's just thankful for everything that God is doing in the lives of the Thessalonians, these new Christians. And he makes this amazing statement in verse 3 about what the Thessalonians have done and the source of power behind what they did, why they were able to do what they did. And so I want to kind of drill into this part. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to highlight some things along with me. He says, he starts out and says, we remember the work produced by faith. And so highlight those two words if you're taking notes, work produced. And faith, the work that they've done produced by faith. Now, the work, the works they've done are probably things like sharing Christ, taking care of each other, serving in the community, worshiping. And this work they're doing doesn't come from nothing. Paul says this is a result of the faith that they have in God. Their faith and trust in God drove them to do good works in his name. And this is true for us as well. To whatever Whatever we do that honors God in our lives, to whatever degree our life takes a Christ-like shape, that flows from our faith in God, from our trust in him. That he loves us, trusting that he's with us. And that kind of faith and trust in God produces God-honoring work in our families, in our lives, in our communities. That was true of the baby Christians in Thessalonica, and it is true of us as well. So, faith and work. He then says, your labor prompted by love. Highlight those two words, labor and love. Same kind of idea here. Uh, The word labor, though, is actually not the same Greek word as work that we just looked at. Labor here means standing strong in the face of difficulties. And we know they were going through difficulties. We read in the book of Acts that they're being persecuted, they're new Christians, they don't have a leader with them anymore. So we know that they're facing these difficulties, and he's saying that your labor, your willingness to continue on in your faith and and stand strong flows out of love. Love, Paul says, is the motivator to do God's work in difficulty. Love for God, love for each other, love for those in the community, even love for those who might be persecuting them. Remember Jesus said that pesky little phrase, love your enemies? I have a feeling the Thessalonians were doing that. So their labors for the Lord and for others were born out of their love. And then this last one, he says, your endurance inspired by hope. So highlight those two. Endurance inspired by hope. So endurance, persevering in their faith. It's based on hope. And not just some vague hopeful sentiment, a specific hope in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what he says. They endure in their faith in the face of all these challenges because they have fixed their eyes on Jesus, on who he is, and on the future inheritance that he has promised them. And so what we have in this beautiful verse is, again, what Paul saw in their lives of faith and the reason they were able to do those things their actions, and the source of power for those actions. So I want to kind of show that to you with um, these lines here. I'll kind of connect some dots for you. So in in yellow, we have the the faith, love, and hope, which are the sources of power for the things they did, which are in green. The work, the labor of love, the endurance and faith. And in the same way, our faith in God, our love for others, for the Lord, our hope in Christ is what propels us forward in our lives of faith. Let's keep reading the next handful of verses. This is the part where Paul switches out of the prayer of thanksgiving to kind of the body of the letter, the main part of the letter. Starting in verse 4, Paul says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Those are the two regions of Greece. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. It's an amazing passage where he's describing his ministry with them, what their life was like together, and the reputation they've gained because of their faithfulness. I want you to highlight a couple of things. In verse 5, uh, the words power and Holy Spirit. So Paul's talking about when he first brought the message to the Thessalonians, how did it go? How did this work this way? He's saying, it wasn't because I'm some great speaker, or I'm just so eloquent I convinced you to believe this. It was... The power of the gospel, in the book of Romans, it says the gospel, it it is power. It is inherently powerful, the message of Jesus. It doesn't honestly even really matter who's saying it. It is powerful in and of itself. And the Holy Spirit, Paul says, supernaturally worked through that and changed the lives of the Thessalonian Christians. In the midst of this suffering, he changed them. And it says... That in the midst of that suffering, they also experienced joy. Not a manufactured happiness or some superficial optimism, but deep, true joy. And did you notice where it came from? Given to them by the Holy Spirit. So I would highlight those two words in verse 6. The joy given by the Holy Spirit. Given. So they responded because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Not because Paul was some great speaker. And they experienced joy even in the challenges they're facing because the Holy Spirit gave them that joy. It allowed that joy to take root in their lives. And the result, I love this phrase, in verse 8, I would highlight this. It says, the result is that the Lord's message rang out from them. It rang out from them. So not only did they respond in faith and their lives were changed and they experienced joy even in difficult circumstances, they turned around and... Began sharing Christ with others. The message rang out. The Lord's message rang out from you, Paul said. So let's read just two more verses. Verse 8. Paul said, therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. I love that he says that because he just said everything about it. But I don't need to. Um, Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. It being how they've lived their lives of faith. For they themselves, the other churches, report What kind of reception you gave us? They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonians, these baby Christians, you know, who had Paul with them for a few weeks, They've been so truly changed by the Holy Spirit that they began to take the message to others. And it rang out from them so much that they gained a reputation among other churches for their faithfulness. Despite Paul's absence, despite the persecution they're experiencing, God did this in them and through them. He worked powerfully. And I love this. It says they turned in verse 9. I would highlight this. They turned uh, to the living and true God. The living and true God. And that's a very powerful statement. If you picture the ancient world, the Greco-Roman world, they're in ancient Greece. They live in a city of temples. Picture it, the columns and the statues of Athena and Zeus and Poseidon and all these deities that are you know carved in marble all over this. That's where they live. They're surrounded by these These gods and goddesses that are not real, they are dead and false. They've turned to what's living and what's true. And the same is true for those of us who have given our life to Christ. We have turned to the living and true God. That same God who changed the lives of those Thessalonians. By the way, we are surrounded in our lives and our communities by false gods and people who give their lives to them. Um, they may not be as observable. They're not carved out of marble. There's not temples to them. But the gods of money and success and respect and self-improvement and autonomy and status are real and powerful. And they promise security and hope or happiness but they'll never deliver not in the long run and so it is my prayer that the message of Christ the living and true God would ring out from this from real hope in a clear and mighty way into our community so I want to go back to that question from the beginning How can we be strong and joyful in our faith, like the Thessalonians, even when life is challenging? Here's the answer, and then we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit. By relying on the living and true God who gives us joy and strength. By relying on the living and true God who gives us joy and strength. We have to rely on God. We, we say that a lot around here, but it's something we just have to continuously reinforce because our default is to rely on ourselves. And sometimes when we're relying on ourselves, we don't even realize we're relying on ourselves. But we have to truly trust God and rely on Him. We have to trust that He loves us, that He's present in our lives, that He's transforming us, but we so often just reverse it. And we rely on ourselves, even in our relationship with God. We might believe God is real and desire a relationship with Him, but still rely on ourselves In living out that relationship, we reverse this. We try to sort of improve ourselves and work hard to change so that, you know, we'll be more acceptable to God. Or maybe God will answer more of our prayers. We kind of get into that mindset. But we have to remember what Paul said to the Thessalonians. Remember that verse that had the three things I had you highlight? I want to come back to that idea for a minute just to reinforce this. He said these three things. Paul said, remember, that their faith preceded their works, the good things that they did, their faith in the Lord. Good works don't, you can't go the reverse way. Working hard, trying to be a moral person and strive, it does not produce a vibrant faith and trust in the Lord as a result. That is backwards. But so often we operate that way. The second thing Paul said in that verse, again, was that love, love for God, love for others, leads to, their labor, they're their persevering in their faith in spite of difficulty. But we try to go reverse on that. We strive for the faith, just going to, you know, kind of muddle through in the hopes that somewhere down the line, I will feel like love toward God or others. Eventually, I'll, I'll, the feelings will catch up. That is backwards. Love for others, love for God precedes enduring in the faith. And then the last one he talked about is that hope... Hope in Jesus Christ leads to endurance in the faith. It it precedes that. We don't endure and work hard and just try to get by wishing that at some point we'll discover some hope through everything we've done. That is backwards. It begins with the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. Faith comes before works. Love comes before labor. Hope comes before endurance. Our joy and our strength as Paul said to the Thessalonians, are given by God. Remember, he said the Holy Spirit was involved with power in changing their lives and the Holy Spirit gave joy to the Thessalonians. Our joy and strength are not something we can just manufacture. This is something God does in us. We have to rely on him and trust him and ask him to cultivate this heart and to change and transform our lives in these ways. I do want to say, though, I think this is important to note at this point, um, our faith in God, our love for others, our hope in Christ, um, they are best observed in our lives on a uh, long-term scale. Because uh, I don't remember who said this years ago, but it's always stuck with me about our lives of faith, our uh, a little spiritual growth. It's a little bit more like the stock market. In, in at least in this country, uh, historically just sort of trends upward, but there's a lot of peaks and valleys in there, aren't there? A lot of ups and downs, a day where it's real down, a week where it's real up. But if you zoom out over many years, you'll see this trend upward. And I think that that's a great analogy for our lives of faith, that 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 Christ working in our lives, changing us from the inside out, over the course of our life, you know, as we trust in him, we will see our, our lives take more of a Christ-like shape and trend in a in a direction of, of spiritual maturity, but there are days and weeks, maybe seasons when we don't feel these things. We might not feel like our faith is very strong. We might not feel a lot of love for God or love for others, particularly if we're going through something hard um, or we'll feel hopeless because of something we're facing. Um, And, You might have experienced that. You might be experiencing that right now. And I just want to tell you, if you have moments and days and seasons like that, um, don't be too hard on yourself. Don't fret over that. God's nature and his love for you are not shaken by that. And it doesn't mean you're doomed to a life of not growing in your faith or that God's done with you or something like that. You're walking through a hard time. And Scripture over and over assumes that we're going to go through hard times. And it says in those hard times, we turn to the Lord and we rely on him and we can trust that he's with us in those hard times. And so when we think about these qualities as producing these results in our life, faith, love, and hope, um, we will see those on the long term in our life as we give our life more and more to Christ and he changes us. But don't be rattled by a day or a week or even a season where you're not feeling these things. That doesn't change who God is. That doesn't change his promises. That doesn't change his presence in your life. It doesn't change how he views you. So you turn to him. You rely on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Trust that he loves you and that he's working despite your feelings, despite whatever darkness you feel you might be walking through. Fix your eyes on Christ. You know, we call this series Life in the Light uh, because if you fast forward a little bit in First Thessalonians in chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, said this. He says, speaking to the Thessalonian Christians, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Even though you might experience a dark time or something difficult, you don't belong to it. You are a child of light child of the day, a child of God, the New Testament teaches. And so we're going to unfold in the coming weeks what that looks like to be a a child of the light, children of the day. And we're going to continue to see the way Paul invested in these new believers as they grew in their faith. Amazing stuff ahead. He talks about the end times. He talks about community and how we serve each other and how we can live out the hope that we find in Christ. Very rich, these two letters. So I'm very excited to walk through them with you.